Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elohecha, Ve'chol Levavecha, Uve'chol Nefshecha, Uve'chol Meodecha, Ve'ahavta Lareacha Kamocha. Amen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. These are the very words of God. Thank you. Be, please be seated for my words. Last time we were in Genesis 1 and it was awesome. And we left off with Jesus being the true light, the actual light of creation that God made, hid away and then brought back at a later time. We know that light of creation is not solar, planetary. It doesn't come from a star. It, it, it was simply the essence of light. It was life itself, okay? That's where we left off. Now, I want to pick up right where we left off talking about light. And I want to tell you what the Talmud says about that light of creation in Genesis 1.1. The Talmud, which is a Jewish um, book that explains the laws that are written in the Torah, it looks at the second verse of chapter 1 of Genesis. And what do you get out of that second verse? The earth was tohu vavohu, formless and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Is it light or dark right now in this creation? I don't know. What does it say? Darkness was over the face of the deep. I think it's dark. God speaks into that darkness, and what does he say? What? Let there be light, and there was light. Okay? Yah, he, or. Let there be light. Now, what does this verse teach us? This is very Jewish. Read a verse, and then say, all right, what does that teach us? Any guesses? First, there's darkness. Then there's light. What does that teach us? I don't know. That's actually a good question. Is that what it teaches us? That light is in the darkness? Maybe, but we don't know that yet. If we just read verse two and then immediately go to verse three, we know there's darkness and then God says, let there be light. And boom, there's light. So before the, verse three, there's no light. And if there is light in the darkness, it's, undistinguish it's indistinguishable. It's not recognizable as light because God has to separate the two in order for you to go, oh, that's light. Okay. What do we learn? Well, the sages said, oh, such is the way of creation. First comes darkness and then comes light. Pretty basic, right? But it's pretty cool if you think about the pattern of existence. The statement is the source of the law that the night precedes the day. 
Think about every day that God says, and it was what? Good. Good. First day, it was, and it was the first day. And then it was, and then it was the second day. Your Bibles are closed. No wonder you can't answer my questions. You should open them to Genesis 1 and read. And God said, let there be light. And he saw that the light that was good. And he said, wow, that's really awesome. And it was blank. And it was blank the first day, day one. Nope. Close. It was evening and it was morning or it was night and it was day. That's the pattern. It wasn't day and the night. It was night and it was day. First day, day one. Isn't that what your Bible says? Mine says that. It was evening and it was morning the first day. Did you all know that Sabbath begins the night before for the Jewish people at sundown? They observe Sabbath Friday evening at six o'clock or whenever the sun goes down. That's when Sabbath starts. So if that's when Sabbath starts, when does Sabbath end? The next day when the sun goes down. So what is a day to a Jewish person? Night to night. Why would they do that? That's crazy. Why would Jewish people do that? Because it says it was evening and it was morning. That's a day. Brilliant, right? You and me say, no, it's morning and it's evening. That's a day. And God says, well, okay, that's fine. But I said it was evening and it was morning day one. He said, oh. That's where the Jewish people get that they start observing a day in the evening, the evening before. What else does it imply? Well, think about this. If first comes darkness, then comes light. Maybe that expresses a profound truth about every area of our lives. Yes. Kind of the day pushes out the night. I like that. Yes. Light has this power to push away darkness, but does darkness have power to push out light? What if you added more darkness to a room with a candle in it? Would the candle go out? No. No matter how much darkness you add, it doesn't do anything to the light. But how, what if I keep adding light? I can eventually completely eliminate all darkness if I have enough light, right? That's a truth that God says, observe that. Look at that. Meditate on that. Think about that. Even the smallest light overcomes darkness, but all the darkness in the world can't overcome the smallest light. Wow, what kind of truth would that reveal then in your existence, in your reality, in your life? How do you start your life? Where are you? Uh Uh-uh. You're in the womb. You're in utter darkness. You start your existence in utter darkness and you are born to a sun-blessed world. We proceed from ignorance to what comes after ignorance? Ignorance just means don't know. To knowledge. To no- Could you say we start in darkness with our knowledge? And we are enlightened when we learn and we end in knowledge. That, that would be the light, right? When I, when, it's, when I don't know anything, I'm in darkness. Not really, but you could say 
my knowledge is darkened. I don't know anything. And then as I grow and I learn, I am enlightened. I wonder if that's why the verb enlighten means to gain knowledge because you shed light on it. Think about this. We go from barbarism to civilization. Lord of the flies. No rules. Society is just anarchy. But then somebody says, hey, we ought to police ourselves and we ought to have some rules to live by. Suddenly, it's like, oh, you're in darkness when you're punching each other in the face and clubbing each other with bats and just doing whatever you want. So barbarism to civility, civilization, slavery, darkness or light? Darkness. What's the opposite of darkness? Light. What's the opposite of slavery? You see how life continues to mirror this. Look at America's beginning. Did we start in the darkness? Yes. We brought over all these slaves. Are we still in the darkness? No. We're in 2019. Anybody own a slave? I don't. Do you? No, of course not. We've been enlightened. God has shed light on our darkest understandings. We used to think slavery was good. How about I'm alone? Are you in the light when you're alone or do you feel sometimes like you're in some darkness when you're alone? What do you do to get on alone? How do you get in the light? Have someone with you. Walk along the road with a friend. You, you get into community. So singularity to community. So all these parallels to God's Genesis 1 and verse 2 exist in our world. First comes darkness, then comes light. Do you know what it means to me? It encourages me. It's empowerment to us. It tells me that in God's world, things will get better. In the light of Saturday's events, we don't have to stay in darkness because God says, if you follow my pattern, things will get better. That's an awesome promise, an awesome hope for me because I know you and I know me from time to time are in dark places. But if God's word has any truth to it, it says, don't worry. You don't have to stay there because in my world, you start in darkness and you end in light. It's beautiful. How about eternal life? We got to go through death. That's pretty dark. But God says, don't worry. That's not the end. The end is eternal light. Eternal life. I love that. And God forbid it would be the other way around. We start in light and we all end in darkness. That's an atheistic worldview. What a terrible world to live in. Okay. We're going to take real quick, be fruitful and multiply. I want your opinion. Is that a command or is it something else? Because God says to Adam and Eve and to each of the animals, be fruitful and multiply. What do you think? Sounds like a command. What'd you say? It's not necessarily like, go do this, but it's implied that you're, you don't have enough 
<laughs> okay, so kind of a subtle command, hidden command, indirect command. Uh, what do you think? You think it sounds like a command to me? What do you think? Command, right? Now, I agree with you because be fruitful, multiply, sounds an awful lot like God's telling us what to do. If it's a command, then what about all those couples who can't have children? How can they possibly fulfill God's commands? Okay. They could. But they're not technically being fruitful or multiplying, are they? Okay. But some, some can't. What if both husband and wife are barren and sterile? You'd have to get someone else's eggs, someone else's seed, and put that together. So that's you not being fruitful. That's somebody else being fruitful, right? And what about pre-in vitro fertilization days? What about 300 years ago? Be fruitful and multiply. I can't. Why not? I don't know. Like, that's not very fair, is it? That sounds terrible. It's like have blonde hair. Jordan, I can't. Have green eyes. I can't. Oh, be fruitful and multiply, like kind of in a metaphorical way, like be fruitful, multiply other than just your own offspring could be. Yeah, I like that, Riley. Be fruitful and multiply your knowledge. Sure. Now you're starting to think like a Jew. That's pretty cool. Now the, the commandment in Genesis 1, 20 through 22, be fruitful and multiply has to do with reproduction. No doubt physical reproduction, meaning get together and make babies, a lot of them. Now, here's the funny thing. After the flood, God instructs Noah to allow the animals to roam free and be fertile and to increase on the land. Now, we know that's not a command because how can Noah affect the population of the animals? Come on, you can do it. <laughs> it's a little weird. Noah cheering on the squirrels. That's not what God intended, right? So that can't be a command. Well, um, if it's not a command, Sarah, mother Sarah, Abraham's wife, was she fruitful? No, she was barren. And I love it. Every single time it seems like the Bible talks about a woman who is barren, guess what she's going to have in like a paragraph? She's going to have a baby. It's like the fishermen, the professional fishermen, Jesus' disciples. The only people in the whole world never catch a fish. The worst fishermen in the entire history of fishing never catch a fish in the entire time that Jesus doesn't put in there. So every time the Bible talks about so-and-so was barren, get ready. She's about to have a baby. It's pretty cool. So if Sarah was barren, there's no indication for a reason for her barrenness. It appears that God is the one that opens and closes the womb. Rebecca was barren, but God opened her room. <laughs> room. Go clean your womb. Uh, God opened her womb. Leah was 
barren, God opened her womb. Sarah, Samson's mother, Hannah, Elizabeth, Mary, all had their wombs opened by God. You can see from what we've talked about just today that when God says, be fruitful and multiply, I think it's to be understood in this way. Have a nice day. Now, am I telling you, you better have a nice day. It's not a command, is it? It's a, have a nice day. God bless you. What is that? What am I doing to you? In, I'm blessing you. Yes, I'm blessing you. I am, I'm giving you a blessing. When you actually wish somebody to have a good day, you are wishing a blessing on them. May you have a good day. It's a blessing. It's not a command. Have a nice day. Don't tell me what to do. No, no, I didn't. It's not a command. It's, it's a blessing. Oh. I think so, Jordan. Exactly. May you be fruitful and multiply. It's a blessing. It's not a command. It can't be a command because I have no control over my own physiology. I either can have babies or I can't. And that's, that's God's deal. So it's not a command. It has to be a blessing. So um, be fruitful and multiply. Had God not added the words and multiply, do you know what every creature would have done if the, if the blessing or the command was just the blessing was be fruitful without multiply, just be fruitful. What would every single male, female creature have done? See, this is, you're thinking like a Westerner. You gotta think like an Easterner. God says, be fruitful. That's it. Every single creature, male and female, would have had one child, one offspring. But because God said, and multiply, they went, oh, we can have more. Right? That's Jewish. If God didn't want multiple births, he wouldn't have said multiply. It's very concrete, and I love that. It's, it's an interesting way to look at it. All right, why does the scripture say, let us make man in our image after our likeness? How many gods are up there creating? How many gods are up there creating in Genesis chapter one? One. Why then, Sterling, do you think it says, and God said, let us make man in our image. I thought you said there was only one guy up there. Why is he talking in the plural? See, you're skipping ahead. You're skipping way ahead. You've got to be able to explain the text without going to the New Testament. Maybe the word. Who else is up there with God? Yes, Riley. Okay. It, it's at least the spirits there and it's defined as, or he's described as a different entity. God's spirit is there along with God. Here's what the sages said. When Moses wrote the Torah and came to the verse, remember God is going like this. Moses, I want you to write this down. Okay, boss. In the beginning, God 
created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void. Right? And then he comes to the verse. And then God said, let us make man in our image. And Moses says, um, excuse me. (laughs) Uh... That doesn't make any sense, God, because see, you're talking about us and you're really just, and God says, write it. And Moses goes, okay, I'm sorry. And this is what the sages said. Moses came to the verse, let us make, which is in the plural and implies that there is more than one creator. And he said, sovereign of the universe. Why do you give an excuse for heretics to maintain that there is this plurality of divinities? That's polytheism. And God said, right, whoever wishes to err will err. Instead, let them learn from their creator who created all. Yet when he came to create man, he took counsel with the ministering angels. Who did God consult with before he created man? The angels. It's not that he asked for permission. He went, hey, Michael, um, Gabriel. Come here. I'm thinking about making these little people. They're going to have like arms and legs, skin. Um, They're going to be funny looking, but to them, they're going to look really nice and be funny. And they'll have senses of humor. They'll be able to think like we would think. Good, bad, right, wrong. And the angels went, whoa. Whoa. Uh... You sure about that? I'm thinking about giving them free will. Whoa, whoa, ho, ho, ho. Now you're the boss, big man, but I might want to caution you because if you give them the opportunity to choose to do right or wrong, they could set the whole earth on fire. They could destroy everything. And God says, yeah, I know, but it's a risk I'm willing to take. All right, leave my presence. Yes, sir. And the angels, phew. So God consults with the angels and that's why he says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Now, did that really happen? Probably not. It's a midrash, but it's kind of an interesting way to explain a difficult verse which says, let us make man. Yes, Riley. Well, so... Interesting. I don't think we look like angels because you're asking the question, does let us mean God and the angels? Let us, God and the angels, make man in God and the angels image, which is a legitimate way to understand that. And that's what apparently this is saying. So yes, I think if we're to understand us as God and the angels, we would look similar to God and the angels. If image means what we look like. The problem is we don't look like. We have physical bodies and they have no physical bodies or at least not the same kind of physical bodies. So we have to understand image is something different. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? If it doesn't mean that I actually look like God has five fingers and teeth. Okay, good. Um, yes, you're, okay, every aspect of reality, I want to let, key you in on something that blew me away. And this is only something I've really come to understand in the last couple of years. 
every single thing, including Torah, is made of both letter and, anybody know what the other reality is? Spirit. Here's what I mean by that. Destiny. You are both letter, which means physical. Letter meaning the, the written. Can you see my words right now? Can you see them all? Could you weigh any of my words? Could you dissect one, freeze one, trip over? Oh man, Mr. Dean, your words are all over the floor. They're non-physical realities, right? They're non-physical things. Yet... If I wrote them down, could you see those? Sure, letter, spirit. What else has a physical reality and a spiritual reality, but they're intricately tied together? I heard us, you're exactly right. Because you are not your body. If you lose your arm, God forbid, over lunch in a terrible accident, both your legs, both your arms come off and they save your life, are you less you than you were before lunch? No, you're still you 100%. You've lost some of the members of your body, yet you're not, not your body either because your body is your body. It's no one else's and no one else can ever have your body. So we are both our bodies and our spirits. <sighs> what else is both letter and spirit? Think about this. Every law has both a letter aspect and a spirit aspect. Here's what I mean. Do not exceed 35 miles per hour on Garfield at any time. That's the posted speed limit. Now that's the letter of the law. Can I go faster than 35? If it's posted, limit, speed limit 35. Can I just go faster than 35? No, the letter says no. When can I set aside the letter, break it in order to do something else. In other words, when can I go faster than 35 on Garfield? If I'm in an ambulance, thank you. What if my wife's in the backseat getting ready to have a baby? Yeah. What if somebody's bleeding to death and I'm taking them to the hospital in my Porsche? So in emergencies, when life is at stake, I can set aside the letter to observe the spirit. Because what's the spirit of the law in general? The whole law says, don't go faster than 35. Why have a speed limit in the first place? What does the speed limit help preserve? Not wrecks, not roads. Life, thank you, life. Because our city says life is important. Okay, yeah, how important is it? It's so important that we're not gonna let you drive however fast you want, why? Because that might cause a wreck and wrecks cause deaths. And we don't want deaths, we want life. So life is the reason for the law of don't go faster than 35. But what about if the legalistic aspect of the law says can't go faster than 35, but life's at stake and that's what you want in the first place. He's Okay, okay. You can go faster than 35 as long as you're doing it safely. Thank you. Rightly. To the. What are they called? Um, the birth mothers? What are they called? 
total lie. Yes, Pua and somebody else was their names. They totally lied and God blessed them and increased their children, it says. He blessed them for what they did. They lied through their teeth. But God said, six things I abhor, seven things were an abomination to me and one of those is a lying tongue. God hates lies. Except when lying saves lives. Isn't that cool? Open up, Jew. Huh? Or no, open up, you Polish German wannabe Nazi, because we're the Gestapo, right? We're the SS. It's World War II. It's 1944. They're knocking on doors all over Poland. You got any Jews in here? Oh no. Herr Fraukelwitch. We don't have any Jews in here. We don't do that. We're loyal to Hitler. Heil Hitler. Yeah, you better not. Or else we're coming back here to crack skulls. Yes, sir. No, no. Heil Hitler. Okay. And they close the door and they open up their floorboards and they got 25 Jewish people down there. Now they just lied. God hates lying. <gasps> but they saved lives. God loves that kind. Do you know what I mean? There's a letter and there's a spirit. Which one's more important? Oh, don't be too quick to answer. These are debates that people have had over centuries. <sighs> I don't know. Sometimes this is really important. Sometimes this is really important. Which one's more necessary? Probably the right answer is both. Which is more important, your body or your soul? Well, probably my soul because Jesus said, what would you give? What would anybody give? Would they forfeit their, their life or forfeit their soul to, to just gain something from the world? So yeah, I think we can make good. But the, but the truth is, and the important thing is, to every law, there's both a letter and a spirit to that law. Um, and, and that's what our courts have to actually determine is, was somebody acting in the spirit of the law? When I say, nobody's allowed to eat anything in my classroom, but you fill your mouth full of gum. And I say, what are you doing? I said, no eating. You said, I'm not eating it technically. I'm just chewing it. <laughs> okay, well, are you adhering to the spirit? Of the, the spirit of the law was I don't want stuff in your mouth in my classroom. Make sense? Um, I don't want you to um, cut yourselves and, and cause harm to your skin. I don't want you to cut yourselves. You come in the next day, you got a tattoo all over your face. What are you doing? I told you you can't do it. Well, technically I didn't cut myself. It was more of a puncture. Okay, technically, it's that whole technical idea. Technical is letter. But the spirit of the law is, are you still obeying what I meant by that? Here's what I truly meant by that, okay? By the way, we haven't even gotten out of Genesis 1 verse 2 yet. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, we actually have a little bit. But So, um, God says, whoever will err, will err. Instead, let them learn from their creator who created all. Yet when he came to create man, he took counsel with the ministering angels. Thus God taught that one should always consult others before embarking upon major new initiatives. Don't start your own business without first asking somebody, hey, I'm thinking about starting my own business. Or, you know what I'm thinking of doing? Gauges in my earlobes. The size of dinner plates, man. It's going to be awesome. And somebody goes, dude, no, seriously, don't ever do that. Because then one day you'll take them out and you'll have these big old long, saggy, stringy looking linguine, linguine things. And you have to get them cut and surge. Take counsel with somebody. 
and he was not deterred by the possibility that some might choose to find sacrilegious implication in the verse. In other words, God was willing to tell Moses, write down, let us make man in our image. If people want to believe in a polytheistic reality, let them. That's their problem. But I wrote that so that they would understand that even God takes counsel among the angels before he embarks on a new initiative. So what should you do, humans? We should probably take counsel with others before. Yes, that was the point. Now, did God really do that? I doubt it. That's not important. That's not, a midrash isn't meant to be taken literally. It's meant to be taken spiritually. It helps us understand a difficult verse.